What's up, everybody? We are down to the last two churches and the last two periods of church history that we want to pay attention to. And man, are these last two letters significant. I am not sure why more churches are not teaching the book of Revelation and especially the messages of the seven letters written to the seven churches. They are so significant and relevant, as you will continue to see in these last two letters. We as believers need to study this book and understand its message so that we can heed the warnings and know the times we live in and what is to come in the days ahead. As scripture continues to unfold before us, we must be anchored in it. Knowing how things will play out and knowing what is to come will bring peace to the believer, a calm in the face of uncertainty because you know his word and the promises of it. So for a believer, it's not uncertain. You know, when the world panics and loses hope in these uncertain times, it will be the believer that serves as an anchor in the storm, a lighthouse, an unshakable refuge, because they know his word and rejoice in its fulfillment. We must teach our kids uh, the power of God's word. We must teach our kids what this book says so they know what is to come in the days ahead and they find hope in it and fulfillment in it. Um, and not panic or worry or fear. You know, they they find the strength in it, so to speak. You know, today we dive into the sixth letter that John writes to the seven churches, and it is written to the church of Philadelphia. Now, we know the name of this city is no secret or mystery. It means brotherly love and was founded by King Eumenes II of Pergamon, uh, in 189 BC. It was named Philadelphia because of his love for his brother and successor, Adelus II. Today, the city is known as Alasahir. Uh, I, I believe I, if I said that incorrectly, I apologize. But And it's located in Turkey, by the way. This was a difficult place to live during the ancient times because of the repeated earthquakes that devastated the city. For those that stuck around, it helped develop a sense of determination and perseverance, for sure. You know, to become, in order to live there, man, you really had to be determined to overcome um, the devastation of the earthquakes and rebuild, so to speak. So the Church of Philadelphia was persecuted greatly, like Smyrna, but they remained true to the mission of the church, and like Smyrna, they received no rebuke. Let's see what we can learn from this letter written to this small but mighty church. Jesus is introduced in this book as the one who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. So let's unpack this description so that it makes more sense to everyone, and then you will see its relevance as it pertains to this church. Remember, Jesus always presents himself to the church according to what they need to hear and in a way that relates to the message he is sending them. The phrase, the one who is holy and true, refers to the fact that Jesus is holy and unstained by sin. Therefore, he cannot lie, which means his word is true and they can trust this message that John is writing to them 100% because it comes from the Holy One, Jesus, the living word of God. He is truth in every way. Then it says that he holds the key of David. What does that mean exactly? Well, there is much speculation about its exact meaning simply because there's only one other mention of it, of this phrase in Scripture, which is found in Isaiah 22, 22. And it says, I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. 
This reference is to uh, Shebna, the palace administrator, being replaced by Eliakim, who serves as a typology of Christ. Eliakim is given the key to the kingdom, so to speak. You know, literally, or at that time, literally the key to the kingdom, uh, to the palace, you know, to the house. And with the key, he has the authority to open the gates to the kingdom and house of David. And only the one with the key can open or close those doors. Okay, so whoever bears the key has the power to open the doors and close the doors. And no one else can. So this is a typology of Christ. Jesus came into the world through the line of David, lineage of David, giving him that lineage to the throne of Israel. And holding the key of David is a reference to the authority of Jesus to open the gates to his kingdom, to all the believers, and to salvation itself. Jesus is the key to salvation. He is the reason we can approach the throne, the reason we can enter into the Holy of Holies. But specifically in this letter, it is important to understand that the key of David represents authority. It represents Jesus' authority. Whoever possesses the key has the authority to open the gates or doors that the key goes to. In this case, Jesus is saying that he holds the keys to the kingdom and he has the authority to grant access to that kingdom, his kingdom. Remember the thief on the cross who said to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And it was Jesus who granted him access by saying, Surely today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus also wants them to know that despite their persecution, if he opens a door for them to further the gospel, nothing their persecutors do can close that door. Likewise, if he closes a door, nothing can open it. In essence, he is saying, don't worry about those who are against you because Jesus holds the key and he is the one who opens and closes doors, not your enemy, not your boss or anyone else that might stand in your way. The enemy doesn't get to decide when and where the gospel gets out. That authority resides with Jesus. So go boldly and declare his truth. That is why Jesus says he has placed an open door before them that no one can shut. This church was the model for evangelism evangelism among the churches. They were small, but they were mighty in faith and action. Jesus was saying, your persecutors can't stop you. I have opened the door for you to spread the gospel here, and no one can close that door. So go boldly and spread the good news. Jesus acknowledges that they are a small church with little strength, but they have remained in him and have operated within, within his strength you know, through, hum- through humility. They knew that apart from Jesus, they could do nothing, so they remained true to the mission of the church and relied on Jesus to make a way. Then you see Jesus mention the phrase, synagogue of Satan, like he mentioned in the letter to Smyrna, referring to the Jews that were persecuting the church. Like Smyrna, Philadelphia was suffering persecution from a group of Jews who were Jewish by birth, but not in heart, because they denied the Messiah, and instead they were being used by Satan to persecute the church. But I love the promise Jesus makes to the church here. He says he will not get rid of the persecutors. Instead, he will cause them to come and bow down before them, and they will know that Jesus has loved the church. This likely means that they will be converted or they will come to salvation. So instead of getting rid of their enemy, Jesus will humble their enemy 
you know, and bring them to salvation using this very church. How awesome is that? Jesus gets rid of your enemy by making them your ally. The evangelism of this church is so strong, it is strong enough to win over the persecutors. That, my friend, is anointing. Now, here comes the reward for the believing church. That is the bride of Christ, that the believers, us. Verse 10, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. This is a reference to the tribulation period that we will talk a lot about later in the days ahead. In the days ahead, this is a seven-year period where the whole world and all who live on it will be tested and will suffer great trials as God's judgment is poured out. But the church will be spared from this tribulation. God will keep the church from this suffering by way of, of rapture, which we will discuss more later as well. God will remove the believers prior to unleashing judgment and suffering on the world. Uh, and those who have not believed. So he tells them to hold on to what they have so no one will take their crown. Essentially saying, finish the race. Don't slow down and don't quit doing what you're doing. Keep moving forward to the finish line so that you can earn the full prize. You know, the prize is awarded at the end of a race. And Jesus is saying, hey, don't stop now. Just because you know what's coming, just because you, you, you know the promise is there, don't stop now. Press on and finish the race and finish strong. Then Jesus says, I will make you, know, you talking about the people of the church, he says, I will make them a pillar in the temple of God and never again will they leave it. This is a reference that would have made a lot of sense to the people of Philadelphia. This city of Philadelphia had numerous earthquakes that would shake the buildings and make columns fall. And it would just devastate the, the city. And the people would flee the city to seek refuge. So Jesus is saying, you know, hey, he will make them like a pillar in God's temple in heaven where they can stand strong and never be shaken and will never have to flee for their safety. They will be safe and secure in heaven. The rest of verse 12 says, I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my name, my new name. These inscriptions on the believer could represent that they will receive honors that abide eternally. But I want to propose another perspective. Why would you brand someone with someone's name or residence? You know, I see this as God's people carrying the brand or name of God and Jesus because we belong to him and he wants everybody to know it. You know, we belong to him and the city is also written on them, you know, as well. And it's because it's, that's their residence. That That's our eternal residence. That's where we belong. You know, we belong to him and that is where we belong. It shows that God has placed his claim on us and we are his and his city is our home now how does this letter fit into the next period in church history well we know that that the church of sardis or the sardis period was the period of the reformation church that had doctrine and faith but no works no evangelism or missions no furthering of the gospel but in the decades following the peace of westphalia a rebirth of faith-based works began to spring up as new churches 
our new church groups began to splinter off from the Reformation church, and these new churches reignited the mission of the church to spread the gospel to carry it to the rest of the world. But in the same way the Catholic church had persecuted the Reformation church, the Reformation church was now doing the same thing to these new churches that were uh, taking up the mission uh, or the mission work of the church. So these new splinter churches, so to speak, these new churches that were popping up uh, from the Reformation Church, they were really, they were really taking hold of, of evangelism and of spreading the gospel. And boy, did the Reformation Church not like that, and they persecuted them. You know, over the next three, which of course, by the way, you see the resemblance of these new churches that were popping up and how they were persecuted, and how that ties to um, the Church of Philadelphia, but how they were really spreading the gospel. That that was their focus, and you can see that also tying to the Church of Philadelphia. But over the next 300 years, the gospel spread all over the world. Um, and as, you know, as these people fled persecution, the gospel was spread to North America and South America and, you know, and Australia and all over the place. You know, it just spread all over the world. And the church grew faster than it ever had since the first century. This time even gave birth to the first Jewish evangelistic movements, keeping with what Jesus said in this letter regarding the Jews that would come to know him because of their evangelism. This period, the Philadelphia church period, marks the era of the missionary church, meaning they were heavily focused on spreading the gospel everywhere they could. Even though the movement started out small and persecuted, they stayed strong and let Jesus open doors to spread the gospel that no one could shut. So God opened doors for these people and the gospel spread all over the world. You know, Then around the beginning of the 20th century, the missionary church gave way to the apostate church, which we will discuss next time as we finish up the last letters uh, of the seven letters to the churches. I think this letter is an awesome reminder that the real purpose of the church is to spread the gospel. Evangelism is the real mission of the church. The Church of Philadelphia received no rebuke because they remained faithful to the mission of the church and were diligent to avoid teachings that would divorce them from the truth of God's word. They abided in the strength of Jesus and trusted in him to open doors. When, you know, we have to remember that apart from him, we can do nothing, but through him we can do all things according to his will. This church had little power. They were small, but they didn't let that stop them. And you might feel like you are a nobody, you know, in the body of Christ, so to speak, like you have no influence. You're just a member in the in a church somewhere, or maybe you're not even going to church that much. But, you know, you may feel like you have no influence. So what can you do? I would say be like the Church of Philadelphia and trust in Him. Abide in Him and let Him open doors. You will. You may feel like you are of little power or importance, but through Him you can be a mighty force that can turn even your persecutors to Jesus. Jesus, I come to you in humility, seeking your wisdom and guidance. Help us. Help each of us to hear what the Spirit is saying to us. Use us to spread the gospel to everyone that that you allow us to. I pray for this podcast, Jesus, that you would allow it to spread across the world. 
I pray that its message would get out and that people would share it with anyone they know. I believe you open doors according to your will, and if you open a door for this podcast to spread, nothing can stand in its way. So I will trust in you that you will open and close doors according to your will and purposes. I pray for all the listeners out there, God, that you would fill them with hope and encouragement and peace. I pray they would live boldly and unafraid because they know that you hold the key and you open and close doors you know, in our life. We belong to you. It is your name we carry. Let us live in a way that would honor your name and point others to you. Amen.